Hello, listeners. Jordan here. I just want to let you know that you can listen to Nighttime early and ad-free on Amazon Music. Include it with Prime. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point-of-sale system you can trust, or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. You are listening to the Nighttime Podcast. Hello, listeners, and welcome back to my telling of Rohini Bicesar and the story of the Toronto path stabbing. In the prior episode, we were joined by Razel Robin, author of the definitive article on Rohini's background, and in that episode, we heard about the murder of Rosemary Junor and the bizarre set of circumstances that led up to Rohini Bicesar entering a shopper's drug mart in the middle of the day, armed with a kitchen knife. In this episode, we're going to continue following this story and break down everything that has happened since Rohini's arrest, most notably her twisted route through the Canadian justice system. I'll be providing the updates in a different style than in part one of this story. Tonight, I'll be largely using excerpts of global news coverage of Rohini's trial, edited for length and clarity, of course. So let's get into it. Tonight, in this episode of Nighttime, we'll discuss the legal outcome related to Rohini Bicesar and the Toronto Path stabbing. At around 3 Friday afternoon, a woman in her late 20s is shopping inside this drugstore in Toronto's underground concourse, when according to police, a complete stranger allegedly walks up to her and stabs her, and now she's fighting for her life in hospital. 40-year-old Rohini Bissasar wanted for attempted murder. To briefly recap where we're at in this, the stabbing in the shopper's drug mart occurred on Friday, December 11th. Four days after that unprovoked stabbing on Tuesday, December 15th, Rohini would be taken into custody and charged initially with attempted murder. And then, tragically, the following day, five days after the attack, Rosemary Junor would succumb to her injuries and the charges against Rohini would be upgraded. Here's how Global News shared those updates. Police have now identified the victim stabbed in the financial district. She died in hospital last night. She is Rosemary Junor. 28 of Toronto. She was allegedly stabbed in the chest by Rohini Bissasar, who is now in custody, already charged with attempted murder, aggravated assault, and carrying a concealed weapon. She's now facing a new charge. Uh, the charges against Rohini Bissasar have been upgraded to second-degree murder. Junior worked at Medcan. The office is located steps away from where she was stabbed. It happened Friday afternoon at this drugstore in the underground concourse. Police maintain it was a random and unprovoked attack. Her company released this statement. Rosemarie was just such a vibrant, happy and glowing person. She had so many good friends here and was such a positive force here. And we are all just devastated. Our thoughts and prayers are with her family. Homicide investigators have taken over the case and police say at this point, they haven't been able to find a connection between Junior and her accused killer. Bissasar will be back in court Friday. 
At this point in the narrative, it's been widely reported that Rohini and the now-deceased victim, Rosemary Junor, had no known connection to each other, and the now-fatal stabbing is being widely described as both random and unprovoked. As anyone who listened to part one of the series likely expects, instead of motive, Rohini's mental state will become a major question and a key player in this case. Of course, there was the odd email that Rohini sent to the newspaper just before her arrest, but the first hint that Rohini's mental state would be a factor in the legal case came in the form of some offhand comments made by the lawyer representing Rohini. His name's Calvin Barry. While speaking in a media scrum outside the courthouse just after her charges were upgraded to murder, Barry doesn't speak directly about her mental health, but he certainly doesn't describe her as being up to taking part in her own defense. Uh, basically, very, you know, very upset, and it's just like a deer in the headlights. Uh, I think she's like four foot eleven, and she weighs like eighty-five pounds. And she speaks uh, very, uh, she's very meek and quiet. So, so she's, uh, you know, she's going to take one day at a time. The extent of Rohini's possible mental health struggles become much more apparent when Bicesar would begin to make court appearances. Her regular and increasingly bizarre outbursts led to moments as frustrating as as they were sad, to be honest. Her lawyer, Calvin Barry, while speaking with the press, stated, She started exhibiting bizarre behavior in open court, talking over the judge. I now have some serious concerns, as does the judge and as does the prosecutor, as to her fitness because of these rants. Now, the rants that Mr. Barry's referring to included Rohini's insistence that she was implanted with something, and she claimed that unseen people were speaking to her and controlling her actions via this implant, and perhaps the more disturbing was that Rosemary Junor is not really dead. Now, these outbursts and some alleged to be concerning behavior outside of the courtroom all added to the necessity of a psychiatric assessment of Rohini prior to any trial. Now, much of what happened played out behind closed doors, but Rohini adamantly objected to psychiatric assessment, and the disputes around it led to her firing her lawyer with hopes of initially representing herself. During a court appearance in February of 2017, Rohini addressed the court's demand for a psychiatric assessment by stating, and I quote, I do not want a psychiatric assessment. That's a great way to cover up what's happening. It's not a psychiatric disorder. There's something interacting with me. I'm a victim myself. I didn't ask for this. Someone's doing this to me. So yeah, a strange case is going to continue to get more bizarre. But despite all that, the wheels of justice continue turning. Rohini's ordered to hire a new lawyer, and like it or not, the psychiatric assessment's going to go forward. The case finally gets moving in December of 2017, just about two years to the day after the unprovoked attack at the Shoppers Drug Mart. And by get moving, I guess it starts by moving Rohini out of the way. In short, the fitness assessment did happen, and it didn't go well. Rohini Bessessar appeared in court with a large clear bag filled with papers and other materials she says are her court documents and research. It took the jury about an hour to decide that she's unfit to stand trial. Both Crown Attorneys and Bessessar's own lawyer agreeing with the assessment given by a forensic psychiatrist on Monday. She's experiencing a major mental illness uh, identified as schizophrenia and that uh, some of the manifestations of that illness include delusions, uh, hallucinations, disordered thought, uh, tangential thinking and paranoia. Bessessar's trial was initially set to start January 8th, but given the issues, that's been postponed. 
First of all, she doesn't acknowledge and, and is not able to acknowledge at this time that, that somebody died. In terms of what she believes is going on is she believes that there is a man-made uh, issue with her body, that it's she's being controlled by uh, some sort of entity and that that entity is communicating with her and can see through her eyes and, and is controlling her actions. For her part, Bessessar claims she is not mentally ill. She tells court, quote, There's this question of my fitness because I question whether someone has died. This whole idea of first-degree murder, for me, does not equate. The court hopes to secure treatment for Bessessar at CAMH by December 19th. She'll be back in court in February to assess her fitness for trial. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. I'm Samantha Cole, host of the new season of Understood, The Pornhub Empire. Over the course of four episodes, I'll tell you how a horny YouTube knockoff in Canada came to dominate the porn world, only to shatter their cheeky reputation in a massive scandal. The Pornhub Empire is a new season of Understood from the CBC. Available now wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Aaron Habel of Generation Y, and with me is Jack Luna of Dark Topic. We'd like to introduce you to Marooned, a new podcast that's sure to capture your attention. Tales of the catastrophically lost are what we have to offer. Hikers swallowed by the woods. Explorers discovering nothing but destitution. True crime calamity. Oddities of harrowing human experience. It's a museum of misadventure. So pack a lunch. Subscribe to Marooned wherever you find podcasts. We are waiting. Please hurry. Thank you. After being deemed unfit to stand trial, the judge, Justice John McMahon, ordered Rohini to spend 60 days in treatment at the Center for Addiction and Mental Health in Toronto. It's a standard measure for people who've been deemed unfit for trial. But as it would turn out in Rohini's case, she'd need a lot more than 60 days. Seven months after being found unfit, a review board ruled her illness was now appropriately managed and the time was right to again bring Rohini back before the courts. But ultimately, this is a decision for the courts to make, and as such, a second fitness hearing was scheduled to determine if Bessasar's treatment resulted in her being fit to stand trial. Think of it as a mini-trial in which presentations are made by experts, and rather than, but rather than a finding of guilt or innocence, the subject can be found fit or unfit to stand trial. Here's how that went. For the widower of murder victim Rosemary Jr. and her family, it has been a difficult but encouraging day. Positive. Yeah, it's positive, very positive. Uh, I mean, we didn't expect this outcome, but it actually worked out very fine for us. Nearly three years after the 28-year-old medical technician was fatally stabbed in an unprovoked attack at a drugstore in the concourse of the underground path system, Rohini Bissessar has been found fit to stand trial for first-degree murder, despite the fact she suffers from a mental illness. It was a unanimous decision by the 12-member jury who heard from one witness, forensic psychiatrist Dr. Ian Swayze, during the three-hour-long fitness hearing. Swayze testified that when he first began treating Bissessar last December, after a previous jury found her unfit to stand trial, she was acutely unwell. But after the 43-year-old got treatment for schizophrenia and began taking 
antipsychotic medication, Swayze told the court that she is now fully intact, calling her focused, organized, rational, and coherent. Swayze told the court despite the fact Bissessar suffers from schizophrenia, in the past she believed she had devices implanted internally and externally controlling her body. He also said she suffered from hallucinations, at times hearing voices and seeing things. He says she now understands the allegations against her, the consequences of her actions, and is able to instruct her counsel. So we're going to be seeking uh, NCR, which is not criminally responsible. Um, we're doing that on the basis that my client is suffering from a mental condition which robbed her of the ability to know that the reasonably foreseeable consequences of her actions were wrong. But Juner's brother says he does not believe in such a defense, anxious for Friday, when the trial is expected to begin. You can be angry. You can be. But um, at the end of the day, it's not going to bring my sister back. Bissessar, who is a former financial analyst who the doctor today described as well-educated, has elected to have a trial by judge alone, which is why the publication ban in this case has been lifted. Now, her defense counsel tells me he anticipates an agreed statement of facts from the Crown in the next few days. And if Bissessar and the defense agree to those facts, this trial could be over. In With Rohini now fit to take part in her defense, the trial actually begins. And as you heard her defense lawyer explain in that prior clip, the defense plans to pursue the controversial NCR, the not criminally responsible verdict. In Canada, the criminal code states that a person is not criminally responsible for something if they were suffering from a mental disorder at the time, provided that the mental disorder made it impossible for them to understand the nature and quality of what they did, or the mental disorder made it impossible for them to understand that what they did was wrong. Now, given Rohini's complicated road to trial, it seems like this legal outcome was an obvious route to pursue for her defense. So now, with Rohini's mental fitness no longer a question, the trial begins. In the next clip, you're going to get a sense of the first day. It's taken three years to get to this point, but the trial of Rohini Bessessar is finally underway here at the University Avenue Courthouse. Bessessar has been diagnosed with schizophrenia by a forensic psychiatrist, but is said to be doing better with treatment. And with that treatment, she has become declared fit to stand trial, and that's what she's doing here today. Now, this trial is working around an agreed statement of facts. That statement read out in court today, both sides acknowledging that it was indeed Bessessar who stabbed Junior in the heart that day. The events leading up to and after that stabbing captured on surveillance video inside the store. Now, as the Crown attorney read out the details of that stabbing, members of Junior's family in the courthouse today could be seen bowing their heads or wiping their eyes. It was tough to see whether there was any reaction from Bessessar because her back is facing the public gallery. Bessessar is being tried here by judge alone. Now, as I mentioned prior, Rohini's defense was clear in their plan to prove Rohini was not criminally responsible for the death of Rosemary Junior as a result of mental illness. To the surprise and, I guess, disappointment of many, when her defense was presented, the prosecution agreed. As this case was to be heard by judge alone, the ball was in his court to make a decision. At the end of the court's motions, the judge explained that he was going to take some time to consider a verdict and requested the court resume after the weekend for the verdict. In the following clip, you'll hear Global News report on the judge's decision. As well, you're going to hear members of Rosemary Junior's family react to a decision they don't seem to agree with. The family of 28-year-old Rosemary Kim Janor leaves the University Avenue Courthouse disappointed and upset. Justice John McMahon called Janor a completely innocent victim of a senseless and random act of violence. But despite how tragic it was, McMahon found 43-year-old Rohini Bissessar not criminally responsible for killing Janor due to a mental disorder. 
I understand that people can be or become mentally ill, but that shouldn't excuse you or that shouldn't allow you to get away with murder. His Honor said what happened that day was consistent with someone suffering from severe schizophrenia, a woman with a degree in molecular biology and an MBA with no history of alcohol or drug abuse. Bissessar believed that the day of the stabbing, an entity was in her head controlling her body. My client had uh, been robbed of the ability to understand that what she had done was wrong. She's now being treated, she's now in remission, uh, she's consenting to treatment, she's not fighting that treatment. She understands that she requires treatment and she understands that it's a lifelong illness. Bissessar will remain at the Centre for Addiction and Mental Health on a secure wing for women until an Ontario Review Board hearing over the next 90 days when they will conduct a risk assessment. She's sick, yes, look after her, but leave her inside there, give her, give her the sentence. Don't let her out because it will be endangered to the public outside. You never know, just like how this happened with my daughter, right? It could happen with somebody else. The family vows to fight to ensure Bissessar is never released back into the community. We cannot, we cannot let her out. There's no way. Bissessar's lawyer says after the hearing at the Ontario Review Board, it is likely his client will stay at CAMH on a wing dedicated to women who have been found not criminally responsible. Junor's family tells me they are disappointed and upset that she didn't apologize for killing their daughter today. But Bissessar's lawyer says he advised her not to, given she has a no-contact order with the victim's family. Although many people out there are not satisfied with a not criminally responsible verdict, I don't think it's a tremendous surprise given the facts of this case. Unless Rohini is an incredible actor, as well as a complete psychopath, it seems to me she was certainly in the throes of extreme mental illness and I'd have a hard time believing she understood what she was doing in any reasonable way. But regardless, anyone who visited a social media post related to this case or spent any time discussing it near the world's many water coolers, the NCR verdict is intensely controversial, and many Canadians have a hard time accepting this outcome in this or seemingly any case. In a media scrum outside the courtroom, Rohini's defense counsel, Robert Cross, discussed the NCR verdict and the public sentiment that surrounds it. Here's a short excerpt of his talk. I can understand why anybody listening to the verdict uh, would have an emotional response, but at the end of the day, the courts deal with the law. And the law says that a person has to not only commit the act, but have to be able to uh, appreciate that what they're doing uh, has the intended consequences and also what they're doing uh, is wrong. And if they're not able to do that, then in terms of criminal responsibility, uh, the person is not criminally responsible and in this case the court ruled that my client was not criminally responsible. It's a terrible situation for everybody and I'm not, I'm not uh, you know, uh, unsympathetic to the family. It's, it's, I, I, I empathize with them. I think everybody in, in the courtroom, including myself, were crying during the victim impact statements. This is not a win for anybody. There is no win. There's no successful outcome here. No matter what, Ms. Junior has, has died. She cannot be brought back. It is the saddest thing, and no matter what the disposition is, my client still has a mental illness which requires treatment, and, and that's what the court has ruled today. If anyone is interested in learning about the NCR defense, Rohini's lawyer that you just heard, Robert Cross, did an Ask Me Anything on Reddit shortly after the verdict in this case was delivered. I've added a link to that in the show notes. Also, CBC did a great documentary called NCR 2014. I've linked to that in the notes as well. It's tough to watch, but really eye-opening. 
So now to catch up and conclude the story of Rohini Besasar, after the NCR verdict was handed down, she returned to that secure women's facility at the Center for Addiction and Mental Health to continue her treatment with regular reviews by a board tasked with deciding if and when she could be released. And as far as that goes, after several denials, it has happened. And this update is going to bring us to the present day. In October of 2021, now 47-year-old Rohini Baisasara was approved to leave the facility and she now resides in an unsupervised Toronto apartment. She is, however, still involved with the Centre for Addiction and Mental Health's outpatient program, which includes weekly visits with her psychiatrist. Recent health records show that Rohini has been compliant with taking her antipsychotic medication and she hasn't shown any symptoms of the schizophrenia and, well, she has also begun seeking employment in the financial industry again. I can only assume that this job search is in a more organized manner than she did prior to walking into a shopper's drug mart with a knife in her hand. I want to end this episode by providing my deepest condolences to the families and loved ones of both Rosemary Junor and Rohini Baisasa. And to anyone listening, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this case and the broader topic of the NCR verdict. You can let me know via social media, or you can send me a voice memo at nighttimepodcast.com. And with that, I'm going to start wrapping up this episode, but before I do, let me end with some thanks. First, a big thanks to Monty Data, who contributes the music for this series, and LJ from the Dystopian Simulation Podcast, who provides my intro and outro voiceovers. But lastly, and most importantly, I want to give a massive thank you to everyone listening to Nighttime, as without your interest and your support, this show would be as pointless as it would be impossible. And on the topic of support, let me thank the newest subscribers to the premium feed. Timothy, Keegan, and Dave, I appreciate you. And for anyone else who'd like to support the show, you can help us out here in a variety of ways. First of all, a premium feed subscription costs just a couple dollars a month, and that money funds the creation of the show, but the premium feed gives you the episodes two days early, gives them to you ad-free, and gives you access to a full back catalog of episodes. If that sounds like something you'd like, you can go premium right now at patreon.com slash nighttimepodcast. And even if you don't want to go premium, you can still help the show by simply sharing this episode on social media and letting all your like-minded friends know what we're doing here. If anyone listening has any story ideas, wants to get feedback on the show, or would like to submit a question or comment to be aired and responded to in an upcoming episode, you can do all that and more at nighttimepodcast.com contact. We hope to hear from you. But until then, take care of each other, hug your loved ones tight, and let me know if you see anything weird. The Nighttime Podcast is written, hosted, and produced by Jordan Bonaparte. She's a great person, an excellent person, and she was just a light of everything. And, you know, I love her very much. We all do. Richard Jr. remembers his little sister with love. Sad to see that she had to go now. It wasn't her time. Last Friday, Rosemary Jr. was allegedly stabbed with a kitchen knife by Rohini Bissasar inside this shopper's drug mart near Bay and Wellington. Junor died in hospital Wednesday night. A vital organ had been stabbed. Junor, a newlywed, had just started her own family in August. She was about to start a family. She just got married, got a new house. A bright future abruptly ended. 
Hi. Her name is Elspeth. Elspeth Tassioni. You know her as the offbeat but brilliant defense attorney from The Good Wife and The Good Fight. You've been a very busy little bee. Buzz, buzz. Now, she's in New York with the NYPD. This is very different. Better. But still using her unconventional ways to find the truth. You're trying to sniff me, Miss Tassioni? <laughs> Elspeth, new series Thursdays on Global. Stream on Stack TV.